So we had, we've had all sorts of sound issues this morning, and uh, we're, we'll try to get these worked out. So that's why I'm not wearing that little headpiece thing. I'm holding this. Okay. Like she said, I'm Jeff. I'm very low. Hello. Um, so I am an elder here. I've been going here for almost 20 years, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I've been an elder here for how long, Tyler? Three years? Something like that. Um, so when my wife... Oh, I need to get this out here. When my wife approaches me, many times she's trying to communicate with me. When she's trying to break something to me, she says, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Okay, which one do you want first? How many of you are good news people? You want the good news first? Nobody wants the good news first. Why do we ask? Why do we even bother? No, that's right. I always pick the bad news. So today we're going to start out with the bad news. And, oh, right, let's turn this on, right? Okay. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about why do Christians walk away from the faith? Oh, wow, that's a really exciting, uplifting topic, Jeff. But we need to talk about this. We're, we're a family, and I look around and I see most, most if not all of you, are believing, professing Christians. And we're going to talk about this over the next two weeks. Why do Christians walk away, and what are we going to do about it? Here's the bad news. This year marked the first time since the Gallup organization started tracking data that fewer than 50% of Americans belong to a church or religious organization. People are leaving the church in America and are becoming known as nuns. And in 2021, it's 25% of the population. They are religiously unaffiliated. In 2007, it was 16%. In 2020 alone, it's estimated that 13% of church attenders left and will never come back. Some of these people are known as, I don't know if you've heard this term, ex-evangelicals. The overall movement behind some of this is called deconstruction, which means you are deconstructing your faith and leaving the church. You're tearing down the beliefs that you once had and are replacing them with others. Behind these numbers are, among other factors, the trendiness of not only leaving the church, but announcing it on social media. Have you noticed? Here are some friends celebrities, former pastors that have done so. I'll point out a few. In the lower left-hand corner is Joshua Harris. How many of you have heard of Joshua Harris? Yes, he wrote a book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was a former pastor. He said, I have gone in a massive shift regarding my faith in Jesus. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Marty Sampson, upper right-hand corner. We have sang many of his songs here at Mount Helena. He was part of Australia's Hillsong ministry, and he posted his doubt about, doubts about the Christian faith, saying, I am genuinely losing my faith 
And honestly, it doesn't bother me. Aaron Rodgers, he's been in the news lately. Rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. Christianity, to me, is not very welcoming anymore. It can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to make themselves feel better about themselves. I don't know how you can believe in a God that wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all of this? He grew up in the church. He was a part of young life. He was a part of athletes in action. He was a part of crew. And he has since turned his back on the faith. I have watched over the last decade several of my friends personally walk away from the faith, and they were no laissez-faire Christians. They were Bible-believing, passionate Jesus lovers who ran after God and seized every opportunity to share his love and now have embraced a form of religious pluralism, which is the belief that there are many ways to God, and we all end up in heaven. So I'm going to ask you, this is a really personal question, how many of you know someone or personally have a relationship with someone? Maybe it's a friend, a brother, sister, a child who has walked away from the faith. Most of you. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're embarrassed to do so. So the question is, why are Christians walking away? So in observing different journeys of my friends and prominent figures, these are the kind of the three big reasons that I've seen why people are walking away from the faith. Number one, they're overwhelmed by troubling questions. So many people have intellectual challenges with Christianity, and usually they're very compassionate individuals, people who refuse to impose legalistic uh, religion on others or judge someone from face value. They're typically kind-hearted, and they begin, to they begin to question what they see is discrepancies in the Bible, or typically what they see the Bible says and what the followers of the Bible do. Here are some troubling questions that they might have, or maybe you have. Why are science and faith at war with one another? Is hell really eternal conscious torment for millions of people? Why is the God of the Old Testament so violent and unloving? Why would God kill his own son? Isn't that child abuse? Why does scripture contradict itself? Why does God allow so much suffering? What do we do with other religions? If God made our sexual feelings, why would we want anyone to repress and change them? In other words, why should I trust the Bible's authority over my life? I don't have time in these next two weeks to address every single one of these topics, but all of the questions have really, really good answers. And there are lots of people that have put in time and effort to answer each from a theological, philosophical, scientific, and intellectual perspective. In addition to myself and the other elders in this church, we are willing to sit down and wrestle with you through each of these, each of these questions. But here are some people that provide lots of resources. 
They're just names up on their names up on here, and I can provide resources that talk about each of these questions and what the Bible has to say about them. But honestly, people in this postmodern age can have these questions answered intellectually. But the issues arise for most people with these questions when the Bible doesn't line up with their feelings. It doesn't feel right. I want the Bible to have different answers. And I don't like what it has to say. Now, it's no secret that this question right here has become the main topic here in 2021 America. It has shifted people's beliefs and core core values as far as what they think about the Bible and what they think about Jesus. Because I can meet someone who is loving, kind, thoughtful, and loves God, but yet their sexuality does not line up with the Bible has to say, and I don't like what I don't like that. And so what ends up happening is we begin questioning what the Bible has to say, and you pull the thread of that question out of the Bible, and then the entire thing begins to unravel. We're, we're going to come back next week, but I want to put a bookmark in this. We're going to put a bookmark right here, and we're going to come back around and talk about this again next week. I want you to remember that the Bible was written, God-inspired by people like us, empowered by the Spirit. But it was written about our faith. It was written about a person. A a God-man named Jesus. And about specific events, the resurrection and the ascension. The Bible didn't launch our faith, it's written about our faith. Okay, So we'll put a bookmark in that and we'll come back. The second reason disappointment or disillusionment. So we feel like God has let us down so badly, so much, that I cannot reconcile it, and that maybe he's just not even real. Terminal illness, loss of a child, serious accidents, sexual abuse, I'm let down by a church leader. And it's no surprise because we know this even from the last few years. Look at these faces. These are former church leaders who have, a, who have a serious abuse of power. A serious abuse of power. Respected, respected men. And I will tell you that I am no better than them. But the issue comes down again. It's happening over and over again, and it breaks my heart. Because when someone has a moral fall and their character is revealed and they're disqualified from the role or they're canceled or whatever you call it, we're really good about talking about redemption. And I want redemption for them. I want them to come back around. But we're also, but we're not very good about talking about prevention. And so what I want to do with all of us and with all of our leaders is get upstream and say, how can we stop this from happening? Why did God let this happen? Why did they why why is not God not healing my child? Why are why is this happening over and over again? And people become disillusioned or disappointed, and I can understand why. The third reason, it's irrelevant to my life. This faith, this Bible, this Jesus is irrelevant over my life, or what I call meh. 
for the next generation, the idea of God is completely irrelevant or having an act of faith is irrelevant. I have my phones, my friends, my comfort, my entertainment, and I don't really need him. Harvard Divinity School researcher Angie Thurston said, there's a sense of this, quote, oh, they're waking up on a Sunday. They're, oh, they're waking up on a Sunday and rejecting church. No, they're not. The reality is they don't even think about it. It's not an active rejection. It's just like, it's not relevant to my life, unquote. So I asked my 22-year-old who's sitting back in the, in the media booth, I said, what about your, the majority of your peers? Where, where are they in this list? He said, oh, almost all of them in the third. Almost all of them. They grew up in the church. They're not actively, they're not, they don't have like all these questions or anything. They're just like, I got other stuff going on. Meh. So when did this, this community, when did the church start, stop, becoming relevant? It's a good question to ask us. And this is alarming. And if I stopped right now, this is all bad news. You'd walk away here and you'd be pretty despondent, discouraged, and disillusioned yourself. So let's stop. And let's turn to the good news. All right, the good news. Now, we notice this because guess what? We live in the United States, don't we? And we're pretty self-focused on the United States. We think a lot about ourselves, as do most people. Okay, but across, across the globe, Christianity is exploding. I mean, it's exploding. It's awesome. And on every, almost every continent, except Europe and, uh, in the, and North America. But in Mexico, it's actually exploding. Okay, so it's estimated that by 2050, four out of every 10 people in Africa will be Christian. Here's the other good news. Beyond that, statistics. We have the good news. It's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. We have it. And here it is. This is the gospel. If you have your Bible, will you please turn to 1 Corinthians 15? We have the good news. Here it is if you didn't, if you didn't bring it. Starting in verse 3. This is what Paul says the good news is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That is the good news. That's our faith. It is rooted solely in a person and the events that surrounded his life. Those underlined events up there, that he died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. And now he's reigning on high. And so, this is the gospel. And even Paul admits this. As we go down to verse 14, he says this, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If the events surrounding Jesus' resurrection did not happen, this is pointless. We might as well head on over to the brew house and hang out. 
because this doesn't matter. This is what the entire New Covenant books were written about, the life, resurrection, and triumph of Jesus. It's what the apostles and the disciples wrote about and how to live out the mission of following him and showing how others to do so. So, surrounding all of this, what happens when people walk away? What do we do with this? We can become super discouraged. And we have the good news, what do we do about it? And folks, this is what the entire book of Hebrews is written about. The entire book of Hebrews is written on this topic. Did you know that? It's pretty awesome, actually. We don't know who the author was. There are many guesses. But he's writing to the church in the first century who is in the midst of severe persecution and multi-writers are super discouraged. And so the author writes to them about four things. Here they are. Number one, he's reminding them of who Jesus is, what I just did with you, the gospel. Who is Jesus? Number two, he's warning them, don't walk away. Number three, encouraging them not to lose hope. And number four, teaching them on how to live out their lives as followers of Jesus. Do you think that God is surprised what is happening here in America in 2021? He's not. As a matter of fact, the same thing happened to believers around in the first century, here in the book of Hebrews. To our Lord, do you remember someone who walked away from Jesus? His name was Judas. Paul had associates that he mentored and trained and poured into, including a man named Demas. And in the book of 2 Timothy, it said, Demas has walked away from us because he loved the things of this world. Even Paul, the apostle, had people around him that said, I'm done. Meh, I got other stuff. I can't handle this anymore. It's just as relevant. And because of that, the Bible may have not been written to us, but it was written for us. The book of Hebrews is written for us, this word. And so in the remaining time I have today, what I want to do is highlight a few passages out of Hebrews to show you how relevant this letter is to addressing the topic of our fellow Christians walking away from the faith and then how as believers we respond to it. So what we're going to do is, right now we're going to talk about how do we respond as believers. And then next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how do we reach out and meet with those who are disillusioned, have questions about their wrecked faith, or simply say, I just don't believe anymore. So we're going to look at ourselves today. Next week, we're going to see how do we respond to those who have questions. But you, me, current believers, what do I do now? What about me? That's what the book of Hebrews addresses. Okay, as I said before, the four things, let's talk about the first thing. Now what I would like you to do is I'd like you to flip ahead to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 1. The first thing that he addresses here. Now, I spoke about 
this about Jesus in the book of Hebrews back in May of 2019. Now, I'm sure all of you have that memorized, but I'm going to refresh your memory about some of the things that I talked about. Okay, first, so the, for those of you who have that memorized, bear with me. Here are the first four verses. This is about Jesus. I'm going to remind you who Jesus is. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. To recap... Not only here, but also throughout the entire book of Hebrews. Here's who he says Jesus is. He's the son of God. He always was, is, and always will be. He frees us from death and sin. He came to redeem and restore us to him and to have unity and communion with him. That's who Jesus is. That's good news. This person who lived a life here on this earth is for us. Here's the second thing. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, he's warning them not to walk away. So in Hebrews, the author gives warnings on five separate occasions. Here they are. I don't have time to go through each of them, but I'm going to highlight a few things. These are warnings. Hey, guys, even though you see people doing it, even though you're discouraged, even though you're facing persecution, don't fall away. Here's some highlights. Hebrews 2.1. We must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Warning. Warning, warning, you're seeing this happen all around you. You're seeing celebrities walk away. You're feeling discouraged. Warning, warning, the light's on. What do we need to do about it? Be careful. So inevitably, the question comes out, so if that's truth, if people can hear what it has up here, falling away from the living God, can you lose your salvation if you walk away from the faith? I know you have that question, and I know that has come up. There are two views. Yes. That's the first view. That's pretty pretty simple. Can you lose? Yes. Two, no. Do you know why? Because they were never true believers to begin with. They never completely submitted their life. And they fell away and were blown away like the chaff or the seeds that fell on the soil, the rocky soil, and were eaten by the crows. 
So there's two views. What's the right view, Jeff? Let's, let's, how about you guys do some study? Okay. So we could spend, again, the rest of our time talking about this, but inevitably, here we go. Regardless of the interpretation, the warning is, if you do not persevere, you will not be saved. But the promise is, Christ gives you the power to persevere, and you can do it. Wait, doesn't that seem a little diametrically opposed? Okay. God's kind of like that, isn't he? He's kind of like that. And that's what I love about him. So I'm going to tie the third and the fourth themes together. Encouraging them not to lose hope, teaching them not how to live out their lives as follower of Jesus. Okay, so here's how the author does this. And it's really cool. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author uses these let us statements. And throughout the book, there are 15 of them. They're imperatives, directives, commands regarding living out the life that Christ has called us to. So I've summarized them right here. Okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through them. So I want you to visualize, as I'm reading them, think about this. I am far away from God at the beginning, and I move along this journey, this path, this pilgrimage, Jen. I move along this pilgrimage. And along the way, some things happen. I meet other believers that join with me. I leave some things behind, and I'm moving toward the presence of God. Maybe you think about it, you're walking up a hill. You're moving on a journey far away to near. So visualize that. They're like an on-ramp from getting back to getting back into communion with God and community with his people. Okay, so we have that picture in our mind. Here we go. Let us fear failing to be with God. Let us work hard to enter his rest. Let us hold fast onto our faith that we confessed. Let us confidently draw near to God's throne of grace. Let us leave behind the basics. Let's drop the basics and move into maturity. Let's draw near to be close to God. Let us hold fast to our profession of faith. Let us stir up one another to love and good works and keep meeting to encourage one another. I love that one. Let us lay aside sin. Let us run with endurance the race before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us be grateful. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us go outside the camp. What that's referring to is outside the city walls where Jesus was and he was crucified. And let us be like him and bear his reproach, his shame, his pain. And let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise 
with the fruit of our lips. The author is intentionally directing you. If you are discouraged from others leaving the faith, if you're facing persecution, you want to know and experience God and be strong in him. So, we visualize from far away all the way to being close. Here's what these 15 statements are saying in 2021 language. You have to have spiritual disciplines and practices if you're going to stay on the path. If you're not going to fall away, if you're not going to exit the pilgrimage, if you're not going to, if you're going to not fall away like others, if you're going to stay strong and true, you need to drop the sin that hinders you and fix your eyes on Jesus and move forward. Prayer, Bible reading, worship, the community of us together, accountability, perseverance, active growth and learning, Sabbath and rest, having margin in your life, not being completely consumed by media and phones and things like that, thankfulness, and rejecting things in our lives that result in sin. We started with fearing with God, and we went all the way into the presence of God. Fifteen let us statements. Now this is really cool. Do you know where else in the Bible that there are 15 statements? A pilgrimage to God, far away from God, moving into his presence. If you were in our prayer huddle this morning, you know what it is. It's the prayer of ascents. Psalms 120 through 134. All of these psalms move you as the reader, as the singers, from the fear of God away from him to the presence of God. They're almost identical. The parallels are amazing. So in here, in the Song of Ascents, it is about the pilgrimage. It's people who are coming from somewhere their homes throughout Israel, and they're coming to the temple in Jerusalem, and they're coming to worship God with the fruit of their lips. And they're moving toward the presence of God. And so they're singing these songs on this way, on this pilgrimage. They're joining together with others. They're coming, they're coming together. They're leaving things behind, and they're coming into the very presence of God. You guys, that is our life. We are pilgrims in this life, far from God, moving to the presence of God, taking others in us with community, leaving sin behind, and yet encouraging one another. When others fall away, we first have to deal with our own hearts. Our responsibility is to keep moving forward, keep walking with God, keep moving in the direction of his presence, and to keep, as Paul says, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. When they walk away, when they walk away, that's our first duty, is to take care of us. What are we doing? Staying strong, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What are we doing? This is what we're doing.
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its chain, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't lose heart, friends. When it feels like everyone is walking away. When you see your child turn his or her back on the faith that you tried to pass down to them, don't lose heart. When you see your brother or sister turn from the faith, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. He is with us to the very end. Jesus endured the scorn of others, and he is waiting for us. Let's stand together. Oh, this isn't the end. This is not the end. We, taught, we looked at ourselves today. You're like, well, that, that's great, Jeff, but what about my son? What about my friend? What about my coworker who walked away? And they didn't come back. What are we going to do about that? Next week, we're going to talk about how we love other people in the midst of their questions and their doubt. How do we love other people through that? What's our responsibility? What's our role in that? So we're going to come back again together next week and talk about part two of this series. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for showing us that you are the author and perfecter of our faith and that we have to fix our eyes as other people are exiting the journey. God, we need to remember that it's our responsibility to remain faithful on that journey. We see you at the end. Communion with you, community with you and with others. And we're going to be faithful to walk on that journey together. God, we want to lift each other up. We want to find others to encourage us. Right now in your heart, let's resolve. Let's resolve to reach out to someone else to encourage us and to encourage them so that we stay committed on this journey. God, thank you for pouring into us. Thank you for your word. We know that the Bible wasn't written specifically to Mount Helen Community Church, but boy, you sure wrote it to us. You wrote it for us, Lord. You wrote it for us. And we're so grateful. God, bless our week. Bless our friends. And Lord, would you come and fill us every day that we would have your power and your, and your might and your boldness and your encouragement to stay faithful to you. Amen.